Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I turn your attention to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9 and verse 6. We have been uh, teaching on Wednesday nights about the different aspects to this particular verse. And uh, we want to continue that this morning. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 simply reads a verse that I think most of us are familiar with. For unto us a child is born. We're going to be talking about that next Sunday morning. And unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We have talked about the Wonderful Counselor. We have talked about the Mighty God. And this morning we want to talk about the Everlasting Father. How many of you are glad you've got an everlasting Father? Oh, thank the Lord. I think it would be good for us just to lift our voices in our hands one more time. Lord, we've come into your house today, God, to worship you and to glorify you. What a great Father. What a heavenly Father you have been to all of us. You have kept us and blessed us. You have been that constant companion, Lord. And we feel your presence in this place today, God. We just open our hearts and open our mouths to praise you. And Lord, we just want you to come into this place today, Lord. Touch us, God, in our spirits. Allow us, Lord, to receive what your word would have for us. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. What a wonderful heavenly father we have. I think about all the different uh, family backgrounds that are probably represented here today. Some of them may have been good, some of them maybe not so good, but all of us would agree on one thing, God has been a good God. I said God has been a good God. Even if you didn't have a good natural father, you've got a great spiritual father. Amen. And God has indeed been very good to us. You know, when we discuss the attributes of God, we could go on and on talking about all the different attributes of God, and it's probably a conversation that will never, never end. You could talk a lot about how God is a sudden God. In fact, the Bible says that he rides on a swift cloud. I love that verse. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a swift cloud. I need God to come in a hurry. Have you ever needed God in a hurry? Gone through the middle of an intersection and a screech of tires and lights and you don't have a time to do a two-hour prayer meeting, you just got to say, Jesus! I'm glad God rides on a swift cloud. Amen. He rides on a swift cloud. You know, this time of the year, if you order something, it may get here in 2018. UPS and, and uh, you know, FedEx and, and United States Postal Service and everybody's running behind and I, I've been trying to get something now that I ordered about three or four weeks ago, and they said, oh, it's made it to Ohio now, and, and they, finally I went online to track it, and they said, it's made it to Alabama, and I mean, this has been going on for weeks, you know, and then I finally found out last night it arrived in Orlando, and so I called up last night, I said, when are y'all going to deliver it over here to Palm Bay? And... Uh, they said, oh, that's outside of our range. We're going to have to hire another company to do that. I said, you know what? I don't even think I need it anymore. They said, well, you know, some people have been waiting since October. So you're, you've really, you're, doing, a lot, you're doing really a lot better than a lot of people. And 
that somehow did not comfort me any, you know. But I'm glad that God is a God that rides on a swift cloud. He's not confined by the congestion of, uh, you know, all of the different things that are being sent, you know, at this time of the year. This is a God who can move in a moment because he is a sudden God. We could talk about the fact that he is a compassionate God or how that he is touched by our feelings and infirmities, his mercy, his grace, his righteous nature. There's so many things when we talk about the attributes of God that we could examine this morning. But I would like to talk about the staying power of God's nature, the staying power. The power that God's Word is saturated with is a staying power. One that is not flimsy, that doesn't, you know, go away with different times or seasons or is only good for a short period of time or somehow has a shelf life. But I'm glad that our relationship with God is an everlasting relationship. The Bible says in Isaiah 45 and 17, but Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded. And then it has this phrase, world without end. I want you to think about those three words for just a moment this morning. World without end. Now, the Bible also says that the earth is going to burn with a fervent heat. So this is not a description of the planet when it says world without end. Rather, it is a description of the world of salvation. In fact, the New Testament also has a reference to the same language when you read over in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Hallelujah. That's referring to the fact that, ladies and gentlemen, you have put your faith in something that is not ever going to go out of business. It's not ever going to be something that is just going to pass by and you wonder why you wasted your time. No, my friend, this world, this word, as it were, that God is referring to is the atmosphere or the surroundings of God. So that if you and I can learn to get into his world, to get into the things that are important to God, to, to be a part of what God is a part of. I don't know about you, but I've been thinking about this year and next year, and I've been asking God, Lord, I want to love the things that you love. I want to be passionate about the things that you are passionate about. I don't want to get so caught up in this secular society that you and I are part of that I miss the heartbeat of God. But I want to be tuned in to God. Whatever you're doing, I want to be smack dab in the middle of it. How many of you can clap your hands today and say, indeed, that is your prayer as well? Have you ever said this? I know I have. That person is in their own world. Have you ever said that? You ever been by a car that's swerving and you're not sure whether to stay way behind them or to speed up and get past them and you're not sure what's going on. You don't really want to get by their side because they may sort of just wander over into your lane and so finally you get the courage up and you think you've got a good moment whenever you can get past them and you go past them and you always look over there to see what in the world's going on and when you look over there you see that they're talking or texting usually they're on their phone doing something and and you say this without even thinking those people are in their own world 
They just think there's no other traffic around them. They're just sort of in their own world. <laughs> well, God's world is something to consider because in his world, he gives gifts and he gives callings, the Bible says, that are without repentance. Think about how this everlasting father works, ladies and gentlemen. He is so good that when he gives a gift, it never ever is recalled. Even if you and I are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. His gifts and callings are without repentance. In his world, in his atmosphere, there is a, 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 a perseverance and there is a preservation that is so refreshing because everything in this world that we live is temporary. Everything in this world, even these bodies that we are inhabiting, are temporary. But oh, when I think of the goodness of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know that if you and I are able to make heaven our home, that we are going to be in church for eternity? Now, I know sometimes when the preacher goes long, you think you're in church for eternity during one service. But think about this for a moment. You and I are going to be worshiping God forever. Forever. I don't know how some of you are going to make it in heaven because you're miserable in a one-hour service where people are worshiping God. How are you going to make it for all of eternity when people are throwing their crowns before the throne of God and saying, holy, 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 we are going to worship God forever. <laughs> I, I found myself, I was listening to a song the other day, and it was one of these songs that just was never ending. And it went on and on and on, and it repeated the same three words. On. I was like, at least write a new verse or something. And it went on and on, and it just kept going and kept going. And I thought, when will this song ever end? And then I felt like the Lord just put something in my heart and said, I'm going to give you a song that will never end. I found myself having to back up and apologize to God. Lord, if it's blessing your name, I don't ever want it to come to an end. That's why God chose to redeem humanity. He gave you and I a voice, and then he said, I'm going to give you an everlasting, eternal soul, hallelujah, so that you can praise my name forever and ever and ever. You ever had this thought before? I'll just tell you I have. So you won't have to be under condemnation for having the thought yourself. Have you ever found yourself driving to church and saying, I wonder how many times I have gone to church in my lifetime. It must be in the thousands. Here we go again. Going to church. Pull in there. Got these wonderful ushers and parking lot folk and some of Palm Bay and Bavard County's finest out there to help us get in and out of the parking lot without getting killed. We go in, people are singing, worshiping God. Have you ever found yourself just sort of getting into a, a, a sense of feeling like you're, you're just sort of like a mouse on a treadmill? I don't know if you guys have seen that little 
I saw a little YouTube video the other day, and it had two hamsters working a wheel. And one of them had gotten off to the side and had fallen off the wheel. The wheel was still going. And he had his little bitty arms just up on the side of the cage, and he was just hanging on for dear life. And his buddy was just working the wheel behind him like that. And he was just looking all around. He was just a little tiny hamster. And he had his little tiny paws up there, and he's on the side, and his wheel's just turning around and around and around. His buddy's just running, 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 running. And he's just like, you know what? I got to get off this thing for a moment. And then after a little bit, he fell back. His arm couldn't hold. And he fell back, and he was going upside down all over the wheel, and he finally just got flung right out of the wheel. I got to thinking, sometimes life is like that. It's just the wheel's just spinning, spinning, spinning all the time, and you're trying to keep up, keep up, especially at this time of the year. Just spinning, 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 running a store, out of store, go here, go there, traffic, blah, blah, blah. And you, you just, I just got to get off. And you get off, you hold on for a little while. And, you get, and the world keeps spinning. And then you find yourself bounce back on. And then you just get flung off. And you're like, I don't know if I'm dead or alive. <laughs> Sometimes you can even feel that way in your service for the Lord. Here we are, dear. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. We got there. We got there. <laughs> I'm so glad the Bible says the Lord's going to give us a new body. Because if we're going to do this forever, we better get a new body. But yet in the context of that, where even though our humanity and our flesh becomes weary, there is a refreshing. I got to thinking about this prophecy. Unto us a child is born. He's a mighty God. We talked about that on Wednesday. We talked about the fact that he is... A God, hallelujah, that is a wonderful counselor. But then I was looking at this. What does it mean, an everlasting father? And there were two things that came out of me as I examined the word everlasting and I examined the fact that he is a father. I believe the word father relates specifically to our relationship with God. He has given us a relationship. Now here we are, humanity. We know all of our failings and all of our frailty and all we're in our hum human bodies, and here he is, deity, king of kings, lord of lords, great and greatly to be praised. But yet, when the Lord came to this earth, he came and robed himself in flesh, and he became an earthly being. And I heard one man said, and I think this is a great analogy, it said, God became flesh so that flesh could become God. Ladies and gentlemen, one day, you and I are going to be the sons of God. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. You're going to have a glorified body because God became man so that you and I, as mankind, can one day have an eternal body that is without end, that is everlasting. And I got to thinking about this everlasting. What an, what an incredible God that he would give us this opportunity to be in this everlasting covenant relationship with him. And I, I go back to Genesis and I see that if I read in Genesis 9, 16, this everlasting covenant was something that did not just begin with the church age, but it goes all the way back. And you'll see that when he, the Bible says in Genesis 9, 16, and the bow, referring to the rainbow, shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth, it is still up there, ladies and gentlemen. It's still the rainbow. And it, you'll, you know, it, it appears and it's still bowing and it's still up there. And every time you can look at it, you can know there is a covenant, an everlasting covenant. Thousands of years later, 
an everlasting covenant that God will never destroy the earth again by water. Ladies and gentlemen, that covenant has no statute of limitations. It has no shelf life. It is not going to expire. You can lock it in. I don't know if you're like this or not, but I like things that are locked in. I, I don't like floating or variable interest rates and, and all of this stuff where it, you, know, you never know what's going to happen or what some people at the Federal Reserve Board are going to raise this or raise that. I want to know what is it going to be until I get this thing paid off. I want it to be fixed. I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that when you come to God, I believe that God gives you something that you can count on. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's fixed. Since we mentioned tithing, let me just stay on it for a little while longer. Well, I love how quiet it gets when I say this. <laughs> tithing has been 10% since the very beginning. God hasn't said, you know, with inflation now, tithing is going up to 12% or 15%. From the very beginning of time, tithing, you can go all the way back to Cain and Abel in the Garden of Eden. They were supposed to give of their first fruits. The very fact that one of them, Abel, his sacrifice was honorable before God and Cain's was not. It wasn't just that one was, you know, the blood that was shed through the, uh, the lamb that, that Abel offered and, and Cain was a farmer so he offered vegetables. It wasn't just that. If you go back and you read in Genesis, it was the fact that Abel gave of his first fruits. In other words, he was already following the biblical principles that is to be the first fruit and it is to be 10%. And that has never changed, ladies and gentlemen. And when I think about all that God has done, can I just throw this in too for what it's worth? Salvation has not changed. It still requires the same thing. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and they said, what must we do to be saved? He said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, you must repent of your sins... Does it not still take repentance? You must be baptized in the name of Jesus. Aren't you thankful you can be baptized in the name of Jesus? You can be baptized this morning in the name of Jesus. Right here in the baptistry. That is heated. Heated. In Florida. Heated water. It's like a jacuzzi back there. <laughs> I saw, no, I think Brother Jimmy or somebody sent me a little uh, video clip, and it was these people. Have you seen this? These people in Russia getting baptized? Has anybody seen that? Oh, my goodness. They cut a big hole in the ice. And there's a man standing on either side of the hole, and they got all these people in these white robes, just like really like thin white robe things, and they're over over on the side of the ice somewhere. I don't know where they're at. They must be in, a, in something over there. Everybody was kind of huddled together. And then they would bring them one by one, and they'd come over there, and they'd stand on the edge of that thing, and if somebody would hold on to each hand, and they would jump off the ice down into the cold water and go all the way down under, and they brought them back up. I'm going to tell you what, it's easy to get the Holy Ghost when you get baptized like that. <laughs> You come up with stammering lips right now. I ain't lying, boy. Woo, man, I tell you, I got cold. I had to go get a cup of, of, of hot chocolate just watching the video. <laughs> Somebody said, well, is it really necessary? And people are making that kind of sacrifice in Russia. Cut a hole in the ice. What does that hinder us to be baptized? 
goodness, we got hot water, ushers, robes. We got everything but hot chocolate back there. And we live in Florida. But it's still the same thing all over the world. No matter what nationality, what language you speak, you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's still the same all these years later. You've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You've got to receive His Spirit. The Bible says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of Him. So God is an everlasting God. He doesn't get up one day and say, well, I think I'm going to change all the rules today. God is the same. It still takes living a righteous, holy life. It doesn't matter how crazy the world gets. God is the same. The Word of God is the same. The principles of God's Word is the same. An everlasting covenant. So, I believe that if God is that way, and we as Christians are supposed to be taking on the nature of God, we must also mirror the same thing. We can't float or drift with the seasons of change. We need to lock it in. I mean lock it in. David said this in the book of Psalms. Three times he said, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Now he was not saying that his heart was under repair and he had finally fixed it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying my heart is steadfast. I am committed. My heart is fixed. I will praise God. Well, you got to make up in your mind, my heart is fixed. I'm going to praise God. When I get good news, I'm going to praise God. When I get bad news, I'm going to praise God. When I feel like going to church, I'm going to praise God. When I don't feel like going to church, my heart is fixed. When I'm sick, when I'm healthy, when I'm up, when I'm down, I've made up in my mind. My heart is fixed. It is established forever and ever. So in a world where everything is temporary, God has established salvation as a fixed point. And ladies and gentlemen, there's something really important about this. You've got to have a fixed point in your life. You know, if you're ever in the woods and you're lost and you go digging through all your little, you know, knapsack there and you pull out a compass and you said, you know what, if I can just figure out where the compass is leading me, I can know whether or not I can get out of this mess that I'm in. And the reason that a compass works is because it has a fixed point. The North Pole's the magnetic pull of the North Pole. Once we establish where North is, then you can figure out where South, East, and West is. My family and I, we were over in Africa a few uh, months ago, and we were in Namibia. We'd flown into Namibia, and I'm telling you what, we just about lost our salvation. We, first of all, we, they drive on the left side of the road, and the missionary was tied up for a day or two, so we, had, we were on our own. We were trying to get to a place that was about a five-hour drive, and we had to get there before dark, because once it gets dark, you're really lost. And we couldn't figure out. I was trying to drive a truck that had the stick shift over here on the left side. Every time I tried to put on my blinker, I'd turn on the windshield washer, because everything was opposite. And we had no GPS. We were trying to figure out maps. And every time we try to figure out what road to get on, the, the words were just like somebody was playing Scrabble and they threw all the consonants in there together and they said, here's your word. And it would be like, uh, you couldn't even pronounce it. And I couldn't figure out where we were going. And my wife, I said, now honey, you're in charge of navigating. She's like, thanks a lot. I got to drive. I'm trying to figure out. Everything's opposite, you know. And I'm trying to stay on the left side of the road. I'm trying to keep from killing all of us. And here we are in the middle of Namibia. We've never even been to this country. 
And we're trying to figure out where to go, and we have no GPS, and I had taken just screenshots on my iPad of maps, and we're trying to follow these roads, and I thought I was heading in the right direction. And my wife said, I don't see anything that's familiar with what it, I think we went the wrong way. And I said, well, figure out, turn on your cell phone and see what the compass of your cell phone said. So she pulls up, then she goes, yep, I was right. We're going in the opposite direction. We got to turn around. So I said, okay. So we turn around, we're going the other way. I said, now, are you sure? She said, well, my cell phone says we're going in this compass. We got to, I mean, my compass on the cell phone said we're going the right direction. We got to be going the right way. So I said, okay. So we follow, 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 follow. This still doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. She said, yeah, but it's the phone. And so I'm like, well, the phone, the compass, it can't be wrong. I must be wrong with what I'm feeling. So I just stayed with it, stayed with it until the interstate ran out. There was nothing in front of us. We literally went, and came to a stop. And I said, this is not the right way. The road doesn't even keep going. She's like, I don't know what you want me to do. I'm like, we got to find this place. Here I am in this little pickup truck with the wrong stick. And I'm trying to get this thing pulled around. And later the kids were like, we were just in the back praying, Dad. We didn't know what to do. So we got turned off, we all got turned around and then we started headed back the way we were headed before. And she said, but this thing says now that we're headed south. Remember, we've got to go north. I said, well, I know the other way is not the right way. It was a dead end. So we've got to go this way. And she said, yeah, but do you know what finally dawned on me? We were in the southern hemisphere. We were below the equator. The cell phone compass was pulling in the opposite direction. It was saying we were going north when we were going south. Because who knows? I never dreamed of the fact that the compass would pull opposite once you got below the equator. When we finally figured that out, boy, we were lickety split. We were on schedule, boy. We were going. And and I got to thinking, boy, if your fixed point gets messed up, Everything gets messed up. Somebody says, I wish I knew what the right religion is. There's so many churches in the world. Let me just say this for what it's worth. The road you're on is a dead end. You know that's not the right way. Turn around and head the opposite direction. They told me we were going to be in Nepal in January, and they they want me to teach at this orphanage. And they were telling me, we had a conference call the other night, and they said, now, Brother Myers, we're going to ask that you would, uh, we want you to teach on sin and repentance, but you can't use any Bible reference. If you teach the Bible over there, you get arrested and thrown in jail. So if I don't make it back next year, you'll understand where I'm at. <laughs> sin help. And so I said, okay, somehow I got to talk about sin and repentance and not mention Jesus or the Bible. How do you do that? And the thought came to me, You just turn around and go in the opposite direction. Now, as simple as that seems, ladies and gentlemen, that's really what repentance is all about. I've been trying to do it my way. I'm on a dead-end street, hallelujah, but I've got the Word of God. That is my fixed point. I don't understand all the circumstances I'm facing. I don't understand why I'm going through the problems I am in my life. But if I can just make up in my mind that the Lord is my way, He is my truth, and He's going to bring me out of this mess. Just do an about face and keep walking. 
And before long, things will clear up. But you got to make sure you have that fixed point. So when I talk about the everlasting Father, I talk about something that is fixed. We used to sing an old song. Some of you may remember it. When all other ground is sinking sand on Christ. Ooh, the solid rock I stand. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. You've never wasted one prayer meeting. You've never wasted one altar call. You've never wasted one song that glorified God when you didn't feel. You want to take everything you've ever given to the glorifying of God, to the magnifying of God with your faithfulness and, and your paying tithes and being faithful in all that we know the Bible requires us to do to live a life of holiness and to live a righteous life and to be faithful to our spouses and to our families and to live according to biblical principles. Ladies and gentlemen, there's been times that your heart would have pulled you another direction. But you stayed with that fixed point. And you said, I've made up in my mind. I'm not just going with my own emotion. I've got a word that's going to guide me. And I'm going to tell you something. The word of God is true. It doesn't change directions when you get below the equator. There's not a North Pole and a South Pole when it comes to the word of God. Everything points the same way. Jesus Christ is the door. Hallelujah. It all goes one way. So that's the everlasting side of it. But then think about this, the fact that he is our father, an everlasting father. That fixed nature of God, that everlasting part is combined in this verse with the description of Christ as that father. And I said it before, that father denotes relationship. It is described in, in this verse as the everlasting father. But what's interesting in Isaiah 9, 6, you don't put it up there. What's interesting about Isaiah 9, 6 is that the same verse describes Jesus as a son and a father. Do you see that? Unto us a son is given, but he shall be called the everlasting father. Here's what's so awesome about God, folks. He can be the son and the father. And all through the word of God, you'll see this. He's not only the sheep, he's the shepherd. <laughs> he, he's not only the bright morning star, he's the lily of the valley. So Isaiah is saying that Messiah is not going to be an ambassador. He's not going to be a proxy God. He is going to be the father in flesh you say that with me this morning? The Father in flesh. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. Now this was something that was important because there were going to be many times whenever the Lord and His ministry was referring about the fact that, you know, you, we know He was all God and all flesh. We know that He referred to His Father oftentimes. In fact, to the point where the disciples said, show us the Father. And he says to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have I not been with you? And we know those verses. Okay, so why is it that he would refer to this relationship with his Father when he was describing the fact that his flesh had to be submitted to the Spirit or the humanity of his nature had to be submitted to the spiritual nature that was God in flesh, Jesus Christ. So here we see God who robes himself in flesh. Just like somebody that dresses up over there at Disney World. 
and they put on um, Mickey Mouse costume. And to everybody that sees them, they're Mickey Mouse. And as far as their job, they're Mickey Mouse. But inside of Mickey Mouse <laughs> is not Mickey Mouse. <laughs> inside of Mickey Mouse is another character with another name. But he's playing the role of Mickey Mouse. So what's interesting about this child that is born, that is given to us, is that the father robed himself in flesh and was born as a child. And we understand that. So we know that it was the mighty God in flesh. It was not a mini God. It certainly wasn't a mini mouse. It was Jesus, the Son, is given, but he's also the everlasting Father. And so there was always this debate back and forth, and yet even today, people, because I think we try to understand God through our own paradigm and our own fleshly nature, and we, we think of ourselves as compartmentalizing and you can't be this and that. You've got to be one or the other. But God's ways are higher than our ways. He can be the first and the last. He can be the alpha and the omega. Well, now, wait a second. You've got to either be at the front or the back. You can't be both. Well, if you're God, you can be. You can be the son and the father. Oh, by the way, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so here's what I want you to understand. Jesus never resigned from being father even when he was the son of God. Ooh, hallelujah. Well, if you get this revelation, everything in the Bible will start to make sense. So the writer of Hebrews, now I don't know whether the writer of Hebrews was Paul or not. Some people think it may be Apollos. I personally feel like it was Paul. But whoever wrote Hebrews had this revelation. Because if you, if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Let me read these verses to you and then we'll wrap this up. Hebrews 9, 14. Look at this revelation. How much more... Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, you see that? See that eternal word in there? Offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now what he's talking about here is that the flesh, this is what the Garden of Gethsemane was all about. Jesus struggled with the fleshly part of his nature to be submitted to the eternal part of his nature. Look at verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. How is he the mediator? Because he was in between humanity and deity, though he was both. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance now here's where it gets even more interesting verse 16 for where a testament is you guys understand what a testament is right last will and testament testaments like a covenant they use it in legal terms but it's also the bible uses old testament new testament their covenant their contracts their agreements okay it says verse 16 for where a testament is there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the testator is the person to whom the testament applies. So if I make a will and I say, this is my will, 
Gregory gets $10. Luke gets $10. Sophia gets all the rest. <laughs> I make a will and I say, these are my wishes. This is my testament, last will and testament. I am the testator. All the stuff that I put in that contract, ladies and gentlemen, does not apply until the death of the testator. Ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus was not God, there would be no moral authority to the New Testament. It took the death of the testator. This is what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Look at verse 17. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. That's why God had to robe himself in flesh and go to Calvary. For there to be a New Testament covenant, it was only going to take effect once there was the death of the testator. That's why we know he was the everlasting father. Sorry to get so excited about this. Verse 18. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet, wool, hyssop, sprinkled both the blood and all the people. He's saying this same thing was required of the Old Testament. It still required the blood. It required the death. And because of that, that testament was in effect. But when it came to this New Testament agreement, whoo, hallelujah, it was going to take the death of the testator. He is always going to be, ladies and gentlemen, the everlasting father. But now there's power that's given so that we read in the book of Romans, hallelujah, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, yea, they have become the sons of God. So because of the death of the testator, you and I have got the power of the contract. We walk in victory. We walk in power. Because why? We have been given the strength of God through His Spirit. This part of God's nature is so true, so established, ladies and gentlemen, that He will protect His Word. He will protect His promise. He will protect his relationship with his children. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but if you were to go back and you were to look at the covenant that he established with Abraham, it was a relational covenant, just like he did when this child was born in Bethlehem. He's going to be the everlasting father, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. Through this birth, this is not just some tradition. This, ladies and gentlemen, changed the face of all humanity. But it wasn't just so that it would be a story. It was so, it was so that you and I could be in an everlasting covenant with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. One that He would protect and keep. One that no matter what, God is going to make that covenant everlasting for whosoever will. Yes, you and I can opt in and out of the contract, but God has established himself as being one who will maintain 
his side of the agreement. If you'll let him, he'll be your father. An everlasting father. Let's stand to our feet this morning. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. I think about all these different people in the Old Testament. I think about Joseph. I think about Moses. I think about how God protected the promise. Protected it so that they were literally raised in the palace. Brought to prominence. Not because of his desire to give them in and of itself a more comfortable life. But it was so that the covenant could be protected. Because this is an everlasting salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not going to be extinguished with the shifting sands of secularism. It's going to be established, and it is, forever and ever and ever. It's not going to be diminished with the rising tide of radical Islam. It is forever established on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. His nature is everlasting. His world is without end. It will not ever pass away, ladies and gentlemen. And it is given for you and I. This promise of redemption, though it has been resisted, though it has been fought, he protected it all the way, even up to when the Roman government, not even realizing they were a part of the agreement, crucified him, thinking they were extinguishing some sort of a local unrest that dealt with Jewish customs and principles that they weren't even really all that concerned about. Pilate washing his hands. Even Peter denying that he knew the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels. There was a heavenly host that was standing by to protect to protect the promise he's going to protect it and ladies and gentlemen that same everlasting nature of our God our heavenly father you see my friend this is the thing I want to leave with you this morning he's not only the everlasting father he's your everlasting father Even when you may not always do things right, even when you got a bad attitude, God doesn't say, oh, wait a second, I got second thoughts now about this. No, my friend, he's still there with his arms outstretched. He's your everlasting father. You know, you don't quit being a father even though your kids may not be doing right. Isn't that right, fathers? still the father well guess what your heavenly father he's still your father and he loves you more than you can ever imagine so much so that he has given his spirit as that that would seal the covenant agreement the spirit of God working in all of us 
You say, well, how do I, how do I receive that? All you got to do, my friend, is ask, Lord, forgive me of every sin. I mean, I'm, I'm in America this morning. I, I want to be able to use the name of Jesus as it relates to repenting of our sins. I know in a few weeks I won't be able to, but this morning I can. So I want to tell you, when you repent of your sins, you say, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me, Lord, of every sin, every thought that has not brought you glory. And my friend, the King of glory will wrap his arms around you this morning. And once again, he'll remind you that he's your everlasting father. Would you bow your head right now? I want to pray. Lord, what a blessed people we are. You have kept us, Lord, all of these years. You have blessed us in such a mighty way. You have been so good, Lord. We could never repay. But you don't ask us to, Lord. You've established this everlasting covenant with us. You've protected it all these years because you knew some 2,000 years later there would be people standing in a building that were not eyewitnesses of Calvary, but yet we are a part of this agreement as much as anyone else. You've established it forever. The only thing you require of us, Lord, is that we would simply come to you and say, God, forgive me. I want to take on the identity of your name. And I want this promise to be sealed with your spirit. Fill me, Lord, with that Holy Spirit. I'm not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. And I commit myself to you. Lord, I thank you that you have given us access. You have given us, Lord, an avenue or a path that we can come into your presence. And we can have this testament, this covenant applied to our lives. You don't reject us based upon our past. You don't turn us away based on our own faults or failings or mistakes. But God... It's for whosoever will. And I thank you for that this morning. I pray that you would give your people confidence and boldness to say, Lord, I come to you right now, not because I'm perfect, but because I believe your word and I believe you are calling me. Give us that confidence this morning. And as we come into your presence, let there be that assurance that this is an everlasting agreement. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. If you really feel like that you want to come down and maybe even reestablish that, I want you to step out of where you're standing right now and come down to the front. I want us to come down here. I don't know that there's ever a bad time to do this, but I do believe that at this time of the year, it's an especially good time to be able to reflect back and to say, Lord, with all the hustle and bustle of society and family and holidays and all that we go through, I don't ever want to forget what it's all about, and that is that I want to be in covenant agreement with an everlasting Father. Would you come right now? People are coming from all over the building. Just make your way down. If you must go, God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning.
We're going to have a great time tonight. We're going to talk about the Prince of Peace tonight. I hope you'll come back. But if you've got to go, God bless you. Thank you for coming. But others of you that are coming, I want you to come down to the front. We're going to have a time right now where we ask God, Lord, if there's anything in my life that is not pleasing to you, Lord, I'm going to ask you right now to forgive me of every thought, every action, anything that is not what it should be. I want this agreement, this covenant to be established forever. I'll wait just a few more seconds. More people are coming. I'll give you just a couple more minutes. We still got room. We've got room right down here in the front. Oh, I feel the presence of God. Oh, I feel the love of God. You maybe, you can't see it from back there, but I'm looking in the faces of people that are crying right now. Tears that are coming down. God's not going to turn you away based on your mistakes. He loves you with an everlasting love. Oh, hallelujah. All right, let's begin. Those of you that are down here at the altar, here's what I want you to pray. First of all, I want you to ask God to forgive you of every sin. Whether you've never received the Holy Ghost or you've had it for 15, 20, 40 years. We're all sinners that are saved by grace. Every single one of us that are wearing flesh, we need God every day. Every day. The very first thing I want us to do is I want us to just to lift our hands and I want us to repent of our sins and I want us to say, God, forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me, God, right now from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Forgive me, Lord, of every thought, every action, every time I've stumbled, Lord, every time I've not measured up, Lord, to what I know you've called me to be. Cleanse me right now. Would you lift your voice? Would you cry out to God all over the front of this building? In the name of Jesus. I want to do better, Lord. I believe, God, that you'll hear my prayer. I've never stopped loving you, God, but uh, you've sort of slid down in the priorities of my life. And I'm reasserting you right now, God, to the top of the list. I want you to be back on the throne of my heart this morning. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm making up my mind this morning, Lord. I'm making up my mind this morning, oh God. I'm going to live, Lord, in covenant with you. You are my heavenly father. You never stop being my father, Lord. gifts are without repentance and you've never pulled back salvation God but this morning God I'm saying uh, I want to be in closer relationship with you I want to reestablish it this morning yes in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Would you pray that prayer right now? Would you say, God, 
I reestablish in my heart and my spirit right now that my heart is fixed. I am going to be in an everlasting covenant agreement with you. No matter what I'm going through, Lord, I make up my mind this morning. I will not falter. I will not fail. I will not quit. I will not turn back. I got a made up mind. I'm going to make heaven my home. And Lord, I enter into covenant with you right now that I will always love you and serve you and worship you. Oh, I wonder right now if you'd pray that prayer in your own words. Reestablish that covenant right now because God's going to do something special. Would you make that commitment? Right now, Lord, I'm making that commitment that I will serve you all the days of my life. Come on, young people. This is a chance for you to make a commitment. All the days of my life, I'm making a commitment right now, Lord. I will serve you even when I'm discouraged, even when I'm hurt, even when I don't understand what's in front of me. I'm going to rest, God, upon your word. I'm going to make your word that fixed point in my life, God. Every other decision that I make is going to be based on the principles of your word. Hallelujah. Would you pray that prayer right now, Lord? I want to reestablish that agreement, that covenant right now in all of my hearts. Everything that I have, God, I commit it unto you. That's it. Don't be afraid to use your voice. It's not enough to just think it. You've got to actually speak it. I commit myself to you, Lord. Commit myself to you. I commit myself to you. Hmm. Hallelujah. Every day that prodigal son was gone, the father still went out and looked for him because he knew one day he was going to be coming down that road. Even though he didn't know if his son was dead or alive, he never stopped being his father. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the same thing for us today. But oh, when that boy started coming down that road, There was joy. There was excitement. Ladies and gentlemen, there is joy, unspeakable joy. When that everlasting covenant has been reestablished and the principal parties are back in covenant agreement, there is rejoicing in the house. I wonder if there's any rejoicing in this house today. Hallelujah! The sun has come home. The covenant is reestablished. You say, how do we reestablish that covenant, Pastor? Let me tell you how we reestablish it. You reestablish it when it's sealed by His Spirit. If you've ever received the Holy Ghost, every time 
you feel yourself going back into covenant agreement with the Lord. Maybe you've just found yourself drifted, but you pull yourself back into it. There ought to be rejoicing in your heart and in your mind. And the way that we express that, the Bible says that we begin to speak out in other tongues. Words that we don't understand. And that is, as it were, the establishment of that covenant arrangement. I wonder right now, even if you're in the audience, you're not down at the front, if you've got the gift of the Holy Ghost, I wonder right now, would you lift your hands? And would you lift your voice? And would you begin to speak out that that is in your heart? If you've never received the Holy Ghost, if you've never received the Holy Ghost, lift up your hands right now and begin to worship God. I bless your name. I rejoice in your presence. I thank you that you're a mighty good God. That's it, that's the Holy Ghost. That's it, speak out whatever's in your heart. You'll receive the Holy Ghost right now in the name of Jesus.